You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's going to be crazy. He's going to have a real need. He's going to sleep on his toes. And when he's on the street, he's going to be able to pick out the easy meat with his eyes closed. Sounds like me. It's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. <laughs> that, that sounds like me. Ruff, 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 ruff. It's like that's supposed to be in the background yep. as you read that out. Yes. Ha ha, Sharajua. Ha ha, yes. How's it going? I'm okay. Uh, I'm a little weirded out. I've <laughs> I've been going to the same dentist office since I was like seven years old. Yeah, it's not the same dentist. My original dentist retired. Okay, uh, you know maybe about twenty twenty five years ago. Uh, so I have a I still call him a new dentist, even though you know Doctor Sam's been my dentist for a very long time. Right, but the oral hygienist that cleans my teeth has always been the same woman since I was seven years old. Oh, wow. Except for like a couple of times over the past X amount of years. Like one or twice she was on vacation. I know she had some health issues maybe like 20 years ago or something like that where she was out for six months. Yeah. But for the most part, it's always been the same woman. Right. And I get there this week for my routine teeth cleaning and my normal woman isn't there. This other girl, who was very nice and she did a great job, right? But it wasn't my normal person. I'm drop. I'm not dropping names here, for yeah, yeah, for a reason. Yeah, for reasons because I don't know. But like nobody said anything. Like you know, let's just make up a name at random. Jen. Oh yeah, Jen doesn't work here anymore. Jen retired. Jen has been kidnapped and held ransom. <laughs> Nobody said anything like that. They just didn't speak of her. It was kind of like, you know, in H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, the above ground yeah, civilization. The, the whenever some, yes. Yeah, whenever somebody dies, they don't mourn, they don't grieve. They just never speak of that person again. Like, well, that's that. And yeah. That's what kind of like what happened. I don't know. Like. Maybe she retired. She could be of retirement age. That's entirely plausible. Or whatever. Nobody said anything. I, I'm, I'm worried is what I am. Oh, what's, well, uh, you know, I'm sure you could probably call and ask just to, you know, do like a, the effect of a wellness check. Just call from someone else's phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, well, I do have to go back in another month because I get a tooth that has to be repaired. I chipped a... Uh. This is so stupid. One of my front teeth on the bottom, I took a nick out of it on rice, Jeff. <laughs> really? Yeah. You, do, I, you, know, well, you have to cook rice before you eat it. You know that, right? Yeah. Well, I undercooked some rice, and I was stubbornly eating my way through it, and all of a sudden, there's a chip on my bottom tooth. So uh, whenever that 
whenever I get that fixed, I'm going to be like, hey, uh, whatever happened to that other girl? And I'm just hoping that she retired because I mean, like, that's the most plausible thing. Yeah. But part of me wants to be like, oh, she was a spy. For the government, you know, something really nefarious like that. That's what I'm looking for. I want some tea. She was constructing a tooth database of everybody in town just to yep. sell to the highest bidder. <laughs> the tooth fairy. She like, well, she kept like pictures of everybody's teeth at home. Like she had like, the weirdest fetish you've ever heard of. I, mean, I don't want to kink shame anybody's anything, but there are, you know, hippo laws here. Right. That's true. That's true. All right, so before we get into the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Uh, this one is a user-submitted trivia question. This came oh, in from my, yeah, from my brother. All right. My brother uh, sent me this one. Out of all the numbers in all of existence, and there's a lot of them, Jeff. There are indeed. Uh, an infinite amount, as, as a matter of fact. Yes. But out of all of the numbers in all of existence, only one of them is in alphabetical order. Oh, jeez Louise. There's a number that begins with A? If you spell out this number, it's in alphabetical order. Uh, so um, we'll I'm going to need a piece uh, of paper and a, cal- a calculator. <laughs> and an infinite amount of time. And an infinite amount of time. A, a bunch of letters. A scrabble bag. All right. So this is the week beginning December the 25th. That, eh, that, uh, that rings a bell. That sounds like a... Uh, an important red letter day. A red is, and white letter it, day. It a red, indeed. white, and green letter day, Jeff. It's Italian. <laughs> it's Italian. It's also, as they say in Italy, Christmas. Yeah. Happy it's Christmas. It's a me, Christmas. <laughs> it's a Christmas. It's the year that I listen to Father Christmas by the Kinks on the radio. Know what else you do? You go to the movies, Jeff. Let's talk I about do. it. All right. December 25th, 1996. A film directed by Milos Forman called The People vs. Larry Flint Opens. And if you've never seen the film, it's the biopic of Larry Flint, who was the publisher of Hustler Magazine. I think he was involved in the script writing of it and appears as a judge in the film. Yes, he does. Uh, Larry Flint was played by Woody Harrelson, and his wife, whose name escapes me, was played by Courtney Love. And it is the best work Courtney Love ever did. She should have been a gigantic star after this film. For sure. I actually saw this in the theater on Christmas Day, opening day, uh, which is a very weird kind of thing for me to do. Not to go see a movie on Christmas Day. I do that pretty frequently, actually. But I don't like Woody Harrelson. And I definitely don't like Courtney Love. But both of those two were absolutely brilliant in this movie. And you're correct. This movie should have made Courtney Love a huge star as an actress because she did a fantastic job in that movie. And the reason that it she didn't become a massive star is cataloged currently in like the Me Too movement. She was in that time period where it was it was really difficult to be a young, attractive actress, especially in indie films, this being one of them. And because she wasn't cooperative with the producers of the film in some cases. That mm-hmm. short-circuited her ability to have a career afterwards, which is a damn shame because she's a fantastic actress. Like I said, she won me over. I went into this movie with my arms folded because I, you know, I wasn't a Courtney Love fan. And I was like, God, she was, yeah, she was absolutely. Put it this way: Ed Norton is in this movie, yeah. and he's forgettable. 
because <laughs> he plays uh, he lawyer. plays Larry Flint's lawyer. Yeah. yeah, and he's forgettable in the movie. Ed Norton is forgettable. Right. You want a cool piece of trivia about Corny Love? Mm-hmm. We share the same birthday. Really? Yeah. Happy I just birthday, read, Courtney. July 9th. I just read that her daughter, uh, you know, her and Kurt Cobain's Fra- daughter. Yeah, Francis Bean Cobain. Yeah, got married to Tony Hawk's son. Yep. The 90s just exploded is what happened. <laughs> so yes. anyway, Larry Flint it was a very, very, very interesting person. You don't have to agree. I certainly don't have to agree with everything that he did and stood for. But he was a groundbreaking First Amendment purist. Yes. And he, and he stood by his guns. He took it all the way to the Supreme Court with some of his cases. He did, and he won just about every single time. He, he ended up in court, too, because mm-hmm. he was able to... He understood how the First Amendment worked. Uh, I will say that while I don't generally support, you know, all of his publishing decisions, but his decision to do the fake advertisement about Jerry Falwell having sex with his own mother is the one of the funniest things I've ever read. And he ended up getting yanked into court for that, too. Right. And he ended up winning because it's satire. <laughs> because it's satire. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. There's a great scene in the movie where he starts, like, whipping oranges around the courtroom. <laughs> I want to go back and watch this movie again. It was really yeah, good. It was very good. All right. Moving on. December the 26th, 1919, Babe Ruth of the Boston Red Sox is sold, which... Sounds, they probably could have worded this differently, but sold yes. to the New York Yankees by owner Harry Frazee, allegedly establishing the curse of the Bambino superstition. I think that, that he sold his contract for like either twenty-five or $35,000, which is not a ton of money. Because of that, because it caused so many ripples in the Boston baseball scene, mm-hmm. it would come up every single year, especially on years where the Sox, especially if the Sox and Yankees ended up in a pennant race. And yep. the, the Sox would blow it. You know, the one I remember the most is in like 1996, where yep. the ball rolls between uh, Bill Buckner's legs, and they and they yeah. blow it in game game three or game four. He was, yeah, he had to get put on like suicide watch after that. <laughs> he had suicide watch and murder watch. I'm pretty yeah. sure like Whitey Bulger was like, have that guy killed. So the curse of the Bambino is you know it's a superstition. What had happened was. The first 15 World Series, the Red Sox won five of them. So, like, one out of every three of the first 15 World Series, the Red Sox won. They were an incredibly successful baseball team. And then Babe Ruth gets traded off over to the New York Yankees, and then the Red Sox sucked canal water uh, (laughs) from 1918 all the way up to 2004. Even the years so, where they where they had like superstars like Ted Williams on the team, they couldn't get over the curse. Yeah, so they went eighty six years without ever having a, you know World Series win. Yeah. They got to the World Series a couple of times, but they did not win the World Series for eighty six years, and right? that's like you know there's there's not a ton of baseball teams, and for a team that was so good, that was a long drop to go. I remember whenever the curse got lifted. You know, us all being from the Boston area, even mm-hmm. though I don't watch baseball, I remember it being a huge, huge deal. Oh, I watched it. I watched it live. Two thousand three oh, was t- two thousand three was the first year that I watched professional baseball on TV. I watched the whole season. Yeah, and I got 
my wife Cindy hooked on baseball that year, and we watched all of 2004, or at least whenever we were home to be able to do it. Uh, for oh, the I thought it was the and other way around. I thought she no, was the baseball fan. She got you watching it. No, nah, it started with me. And uh, oh, okay. I, I, I got her into it, and then she became like the stat monster who was – she knew all things about baseball. All I had to do was go like, who's that guy? And she could tell me who he was, how old he was, what his stats were, how many times he hits, where he was in the lineup, where he was traded in from, or if his contract was new. She knew all that stuff. And I was yeah. like, he has a pretty hat on, you know. And that, <laughs> that was about where my knowledge of the individual players kind of ended. But she had it all. She had it all memorized. Yeah, I remember. I worked at Fenway Park uh, doing some haunted house stuff there for like yep. two days, and I managed to grab like a very small amount of dirt from the outfield, yes. and I gave a vial of it to a couple of people. One of them being Cindy. Yes. And you would think that I had gotten like dirt from Tutankham's grave for her or something. It was yeah, like, yeah, like I gave her gold or something. Yeah. Yes, I, that's on display she, in my kitchen, actually. Huh? Believe it or not. Uh, I wonder if the other people, I'll have to contact them. The other two people I got dirt for, I wonder if they still have it. Moving on to the 27th, Jeff. December 27th, we have a celebrity birthday. 1969, Joni Lore is born in Rochester, New York. And you may not recognize that name. I do. I know you do because you are Mr. WWE Wrestling. The rest of the world, she she may be known as China, who is a fantastic... I don't want to describe it in a way that's grotesque. She was a fantastic, very muscular, very big, very accomplished, very fun-to-watch wrestler. Yes. China burst out into the scene as just... She was a bodyguard for what was known as Degeneration X at the time, which was Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Right. And Triple H and China were dating at the time. I guess they were workout partners. She was a very, very muscular woman like you don't see people that muscular right you know, she was not just cut up she was also bulky you know yeah her on-screen persona at the time was just this like stone-faced woman that will murder you you right. know and i mean she was bigger and stronger than some of the guy wrestlers you know yes but we got to go there was a a time that my brother, myself, and my friend Rob, we had gone to see what... You didn't know what this was called a couple of weeks ago, but we had gone to see a house show. Yes. A non-televised wrestling event. Right. And before the show, we're all talking, and we're going on and on and on and on about wrestling. And the guy that was sitting in front of us turns around and goes, wow, you guys really know your stuff, huh? And we're like, yeah, well, we've all been watching wrestling... You know, for over 20 years at that point. It was in the 90s, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've been watching wrestling each for like 20 years. He goes, well, I'm so-and-so. And and he was like a big muckety-muck from Hasbro. And Hasbro had just signed a deal with WWE to do the toy line. And he goes, we're going to be going backstage in a few minutes to meet the wrestlers. Would you like to come with us? Well, like, let me think about that for a second. Yes. You know? (laughs) So we get to go backstage, and like I was saying before about China being very stoic and yes. you know bullish and all that, backstage, out of character, Joni Laura was like a little girl. She was running around, going up to the other wrestlers, smacking in them, smacking them on the <laughs> ass, and then running away and giggling like a little girl. 
It was really, really funny to see her out of, out character. of character. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I know that um, she and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, yep. they had a they lived in not too far from me in Nashua for a while, and mm-hmm. I had a boss in Londonderry who who used to work out at the same gym as them. This is oh, just wow. as they were starting to get into WWE, and spotted them on TV and was like, "Oh, I know them from the gym," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> Like, no, you don't. Like, no, they go to the gym across the street from the office. And I was like, okay. And yeah, yeah, they did. Triple H or Paul Levesque, his family, uh, they're actually from Nashua. Yeah. She went on to do some reality TV. Unfortunately, she developed a lot of... Uh, reality TV su- problems, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, drinking and substance abuse problems. And, uh, and she left us way too early. It's a shame... It's a shame that some of that stuff is what she's going to be remembered for. Right. But in the wrestling world, she is definitely remembered for breaking many, many, many a glass ceiling. She's actually the only female wrestler to ever hold the Intercontinental title in the WWE. Oh. Yep. It's a shame she she never had the opportunity to sort of go like one-on-one with like Ronda Rousey as Ronda Rousey was coming up in WWE because it would have been, a, that would have been a great, they could have built yes. a great storyline around that and it would have been a great series of matches to watch. She was long gone by then. Yep. And, and like I said, it was a, sh- it's a shame that that's what she's going to be remembered for outside of the wrestling world, but the wrestling superstars, they all regard her as the absolute trailblazer that she was. Right. Anyway, moving on, December the 28th, 1958, the Chipmunks, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore, with Dave Savelle, hit number one with the Christmas song, or the I Want a Hula Hoop. It's, or... it's the chip, I think it's called the Chipmunk song, but yes, okay. that's the one. The Chipmunk song, okay. I think I want a Hula Hoop. Yep. I, I want a Hula Hoop. That hits number one three days after Christmas, so I don't think it was number one for the next week after that. Because <laughs> after... After Christmas, nobody wants nothing to hear from uh, any Christmas music at all because right. Christmas music is an atrocity, Jeff. Yes, it, it's uh, it's not my favorite genre of music. The Chipmunks were able to parlay this hit into a surprisingly long. I, I don't know if it's a career because it's all David Seville and it's yeah. their animated characters or their him speeding up and slowing down or the pitch of his voice. Right. Right. They were able to turn this gimmick into a long-standing entertainment thing. There was a cartoon that was on in the 1960s, which was David's Villain Chipmunks. Yeah, It was redone in the 1980s. They made some more recent films with Jason Lee. And it all follows the same, the exact same formula, which is David Seville is a, is a musician who can't seem to get his foot in the door with a record company and ends up with some singing chipmunks who can. And based on that, he's able to go in and have a music career where he torments the chipmunks into singing songs for him. You know what I did not know until probably while we were doing this podcast in the past couple of years, because I look up all sorts of weird trivia and stuff, you know? But what I did not know, and it makes perfect sense, is that David Savelle is also the guy that sang the Witch Doctor song. Yes. Yep. With the ooh-ee-ooh-ah-ah, which sounds like the chipmunks. It, it does indeed, and that was his first hit. I think that was like 1956 or 57. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if it was during the recording of that that he started playing around and creating the characters for the that would become the Chipmunks of Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. 
But yep. in in the Witch Doctor, he changes the pitch of his voice for the chorus, right? Which is the sort of origin of of what he ended up with for a gimmick for the entire rest of his career. The cartoon right. was which, great in the sixties, yeah, which ended up buying his house, right? Yeah. Yes. Which cartoon? The one from the sixties or the one from the, the one, 80s? yeah the one the, the one from the sixties, which was like a staple on UHF TV when I was a kid. Was uh-huh. super funny. Yeah, I remember having my mom used to buy me these KTEL records when I was a kid with all like the novelty songs on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I remember there was another Alvin and the Chipmunks song, Alvin's Harmonica. Yep. Remember that one as well? The harmonica song, yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. With all them going cha 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 at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Going on to the 29th. December 29th, our continued uh, quest to apparently rehabilitate the legacy of Richard Nixon. In 1970, he signs the Occupational Safety and Health Act, or OSHA, into existence. OSHA, which has gone on to effectively make workplaces way safer, uh, construction equipment and literally anything that you would need to build anywhere, tools, etc., to all conform to a set of rigid standards to make them more safe. Including things like ear protection, eye protection, helmets, boots, all those things that are all captured in OSHA regulations that didn't exist before 1970. Yep. You were kind of on your own there, but OSHA made it a lot safer. I work in a factory, you know, and I have for so the majority of my life. You know, there's certain things that are, you know, OSHA standards and stuff. You know, we kind of like roll our eyes at it. Like, you're not supposed to walk into the shop where I work without putting your safety glasses on. Right. Everybody knows that as long as you're not sticking your head inside the machine, you don't need your safety glasses. So you kind of right. like, oh, come on, don't give me a hard time with the OSHA thing. But at the same time, like earlier this year, there was a problem with our supplemental heater in my shop. Mm-hmm. And yep. at the beginning of the winter, it was not even winter, at the end of the fall, it was super cold. Inside the right. shop. It was like 64 degrees because the supplemental heater wasn't working. And I'm right. over there looking up the OSHA standards like, what's too cold to work? Because <laughs> if it was, I told you, it's actually 62. Ah. If, it, if it went below 62, I could actually file a complaint with OSHA saying that they're making oh, wow. me work. In, yeah, exactly. So I'm over there looking that stuff up. So whenever OSHA works in your favor, everybody's for it. But whenever they're making you like, you got to wear safety shoes in here. It's like. Come on, I work with Nerf footballs. (laughs) OSHA also governs, like, how safety equipment is built. So those safety glasses you talk about, they're made of, like, shatterproof plastic. They're not made of plate glass, which, up until 1970, safety equipment was, like, I'm going to say this with an inflection, safety equipment? (laughs) Because it may have looked like it would do the job, but it may not have. And OSHA tests all this stuff and certifies it to make sure that it's safe to use in the workplace. Mm. So it's a really good act for a really good organization that does really good things. Thanks, Richard Nixon. (laughs) Hey, you know what's fun? Because I have to wear glasses now, because I have to wear prescription glasses, my company has to buy me safety glasses every year. Yes. And those suckers are $550. Oh, man. Yep. That's their money, not mine. My company has to pay for... uh, Steel toe safety shoes, uh, yeah, helmets, safety yep. glasses, gloves, respirators, and other things, too, in the factory that I work at. Yeah, I get free shoes every year, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Thanks, Nixon. <laughs> All right, moving on to the 30th. December the 30th, Jeff, we have a celebrity birthday. Born December the 30th. Yes, we do. Born December the 30th, 1928, American blues guitar player Bo Diddley. Ah, the man who bridged blues and rock and roll and smashed the color barrier open in the 1950s. Yeah. Also, let's not forget to mention a total badass. A total badass who barred from the Ed Sullivan show for playing the song Hey Bo Diddley, which was <laughs> his first like really big song that started to pass over into non-black radio. I don't know how to describe this in a way that doesn't sound like the, everything was segregated in 19, the 1950s. So it would have been right. from black radio to like white radio stations. And yeah. We've talked about this in the past that race relations in this country have been dicey as long as we've been a country. Yes. Thankfully, we're trying to get things right, even though we're still not there yet. But in the 1950s, shit was nuts. Yeah. So he, he had a fantastic band with him, like three guitar players and two bass players and his drummer, and everybody was sang the chorus and stuff and it was just fantastic he started to play and he turned to his band and they played hey bo diddly and every now and then you can watch the video of it they cut over to ed sullivan who looks furious giving the stink eye yeah. giving him the stink eye from the side of the stage and then after that they booted him off now i've gone back and i've looked at the lyrics to hey bo diddly yeah and considering this is like the same right around the same time that the chipmunks are at number one yeah. I can understand why this might have been a little bit risque for 1950s TV, especially as it was breaking the color barrier. Uh-huh. But fantastic song. Totally go check it out. It, it sounds new, even though it's not. Right. Uh, so happy birthday, Bo Diddley. And happy birthday, I guess, Lucille, right? Wasn't that the name of yes, his guitar? That was the name of his guitar, yeah. And what was it? There was like a Gretsch, too, wasn't it? He's had a couple. The one that he's most known for is the Gretsch that he's, I guess, he had made into like a square shape. Body. Yes, right. But back in, in the olden days of when he was getting thrown off of uh, the Ed Sullivan show, he had a, it looked like a, a either a Gretsch or a Gibson uh, hollow body. Right. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at pictures now of his uh, of his square guitar. That was, yeah, it was made by Gretsch, by Fred Gretsch, yep. Uh-huh. And popular, maybe he didn't put out records that were popular, but like popular in the zeitgeist. Right up until uh, right up until his dying day, because I remember yep. seeing commercials for Nike. I think it was in as, as late as the eighties and nineties. Yeah, he was. He showed up in the video for uh, "Bad to the Bone" by That's George right. Thorgood and the Destroyers. Right, which you couldn't get away from in the early eighties on MTV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No. Sadly enough, and you couldn't. <laughs> but at least he was there, right? Yes, at least he was there. And let's wrap up the week. December 31st, 1995, cartoonist Bill Watterson, after a 10-year run, ends his comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, not because he wasn't making enough money, not because he wanted to go do something that would be more creative or like in a different media. He just thought he had achieved everything that he could in the medium. And even since then, he hasn't done much for cartooning, if any. Like, he's done some, like, I guess, dinosaur art and some other things. But for the most part, he hasn't done anything. He's also never licensed any of his characters to toys or any other medium at all. Yeah. Now, Calvin Hobbes was like a little boy 
with his stuffed tiger toy yes. that his imagination brought like the tiger to life. And he was pretty much a pretty wild, punky kind of kid. Yes, yes, uh, he my, was. My favorite thing that Calvin Hobbes used to do was the Snowman House of Horrors, <laughs> which was... I've always wanted to recreate at my house, but we really don't get snow like that yeah. anymore. But if we do, I will. That was a motif that came a couple of times through the through the strips. One, yes. one the one I like is with his parents are walking down the street, mm-hmm. and it's like a nice snowman. And then the next panel is another nice snowman. And then they, in front of their house is like a two headed snowman and one with a big hole in its belly. And father says, "You can always tell when we get to our house." <laughs> 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 that one's probably my 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 favorite of those. But there. They were always really, really clever. There was always a level of depth to them. And the characters, for the relatively small amount of space that you have to develop them, Watterson was able to develop them into like these almost fully three-dimensional realized characters with that were very, very human. Even Hobbes, the tiger, was very, very human. Uh, I have all of the compendiums for these comic strips. and yep. I've had them since they were first published. Uh, still in my library. They still get read now and then today. Yeah, if and like you said, kids. yeah, he never licensed anything out officially. There was never any, like, Saturday morning Calvin and Hobbes cartoons. There was never any 8 p.m. CBS Christmas specials. Nope. I don't remember ever seeing any, like, T-shirts or plushies nope. or anything like that. Uh, the only thing you'll ever see, and I'm sure it's unofficial, is the Calvin taking a piss on whatever... Right. Back window sticker on the pickup truck of your choice, yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a really good documentary called Dear Mr. Watterson, which is a fan who writes to him, and then they start having correspondence, and then he goes and he talks to him about comic art and his career and stuff. It's really worth looking for. It shows up now and again on Netflix and Hulu. If Uh you run into it, it's totally worth a view. I will write that down, because that is actually something I would like to see. That's... uh, that's he seems like a very interesting character. He is definitely an interesting dude. All right. Before we move on to something that is so not interesting. Oh, goodness. <laughs> we do have our weird holiday for the week. So December the 28th, we will be celebrating card playing day. Nice. So being of a French-Canadian heritage, we grew up playing cards in this family. Yes. Gin and rummy mostly, but... There was some poker going around, but like I said, mostly gin and rummy. Those are, and gin rummy, uh, those are the games we used to play around the house. Uh, were you yes. a card playing family? Oh yeah, we played gin, we played rummy, we played knock gin, we played crazy eights, and then because I grew up in a restaurant and for a while was a bartender, I played a ton of cribbage. I like loads and loads and loads of cribbage, two-handed cribbage, three-handed cribbage, or three-people cribbage and four-people cribbage and partners and all this other crazy stuff. Um, there was another and- game that my father used to play. It's the same game, but there's like a hundred different names for it. Pitch is one I was oh, heard. Yeah. It's called High Low Jack. High Low Jack. I used to play that in college, which we called Trumps. But Trump? it was the same game as High Low oh, yeah? Jacks and Pitch, yeah. You want to know what my father used to call that game? Piss in the ocean. <laughs> Piss in the ocean, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was his name for that game. Piss in the ocean, yeah. And then I remember whenever we used to have the band practice space, we used to play a, a very similar game 
to that called Spades. Yeah. Which is very similar to the game Hearts, but it's like yep. reversed. Yeah. We yes. played we played a ton of Spades back in that day, yeah. We used to play Spades like mad in college when I was in England. That was that was a game that brought like everyone from every background together cuz the rules are, I guess are the same in every country and every culture and we would have like mammoth multi-hour games in one of the lounges between you know like Thursday night when classes ended for the weekend Monday when classes started again sometimes all through the night yeah i like to play cards and you know what else is the, it was like a total like a shame for me is because i grew up playing cards i knew like a good half dozen variations of the game poker you know yep. maybe about 15 years ago because of you know the the television shows the texas holdem variation of poker mm-hmm became the very popular version and that's the only one that anyone ever wants to play now it's like oh <laughs> hey we're gonna have a poker tournament at my house i'm like oh cool oh wait you're playing texas hold'em aren't you what there's other games <sighs> as i pinched the bridge of my nose yes so for all the card games that i've played and i've played a lot the yep. one game that i never learned and never had the chance to play in any detail was poker and I Uh-oh. wrote a, I wrote, yeah, I wrote a book full of short stories that are all connected. And the middle short story that bridges the first half and the second half of the book is a card game between all of the principal characters. Uh-huh. And they play poker. So I had to learn how to play poker enough so that I could write the story. Uh-huh. And then as soon as I finished the story, I completely forgot everything that I learned about playing poker. So if I was to sit down with you to try and play, I would be baffled. I'd have to keep asking you questions until you hit me over the head with something like a cribbage board. Much like chess, I know all the rules of poker, but I'm really bad at it. Ah. All right. Normally, for the past couple of years doing Twibbly, you and I have had a Christmas special where we talk about the five worst Christmas songs ever for that that particular year. But uh, this year, Christmas is on a Monday, so we don't have to have a special Christmas episode because we have a Christmas episode anyway. That is where the good news ends, Jeff, because... The worst Christmas special ever. I don't even know if you want to call this a Christmas special. It is. Oh, I do. Yeah, it is. This, what we're going to talk about today, is the Star Wars Holiday Special, which premiered on CBS television November the 17th, I think it was nineteen seventy. Seven or 78? Let me look that 19, up. For... 1978, it was the year after Star Wars came out. The reason you know that it was 1978, the year after Star Wars came out, is that it came out. Yeah. Because after this, Lucas was, you know, sort of waved his hands and said, I'm not doing any more of these things like this because this was terrible. <laughs> and then nothing else was like that was going to come out. Yeah, I think George Lucas learned a very, very hard lesson. <laughs> yes, he uh, did. With this Star Wars holiday special... I never watched this. I never watched it. Well, it only aired once. Yep. It only aired once because George Lucas was like, don't you ever show this on television ever again. This is never going to be broadcast again ever. Yep. I'm surprised he didn't burn the tapes. <laughs> well, he said that they should all be gathered together and destroyed in a fire. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
And and there's no like official release of it. It's only available as a bootleg that you can find. And they used to travel. They used to be able to get it on VHS because some insane person in 1978 with a $1,000 VHS recorder or video recorder taped it. Yep. And it's it's off of those tapes that the current group of bootlegs is is has spawned from. I watched it again because I watched it in 78. Did you? I did. I remembered a surprisingly large amount of it when I was watching it yesterday. Mm-hmm. There's, like I said, there's no official release, but they, they used to be able to buy the VHS tapes and then later DVDs and Blu-rays if you went to like a Star Trek convention or a science fiction convention or a comic book convention. Yeah, I remember seeing them at like the Comic Cons, like the Star Wars Holiday Special and being like, wow. And now, you know, thanks to the internet, you can, I just watched it on YouTube myself. Yeah, this, that's, that's this where week. I watched it. And, you know, I had heard that this thing was awful, but, you know, I hear a lot of things are awful. I hear people telling me, uh, like, The Last Jedi, oh, my God, The Last Jedi is the worst Star Wars movie ever. It's like, I, if you think that's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life, you live a very charmed life, my friend, because yes. this whole thing that we started doing with this season of Twibley with the worst movie ever Holy cow, we have watched some real doozies. We have watched. We have definitely been plumbing the depths of... Just like recently, this one, Blood Cult, Treasure of the Four Crowns. I am amazed that I made it all the way (laughs) to the end of all these things. (laughs) The plot of this thing is paper thin. Uh, The video that I watched was an hour and 37 minutes. It was a two-hour... It was a two-hour special whenever it was on uh, CBS television. So Life Day is the holiday in question in this holiday special. Life Day is celebrated on Chewbacca's home planet of Kashyyyk, which they said differently in this. I forget how they said it. Yeah, it was like Kushik or something. It was, was, I noticed it when I was watching it. In the canon of this, I'm going to guess it's not long after... The Death Star has been destroyed. And they're right. trying to get Chewbacca back to his home planet of Kashyyyk to be with his family, with uh, his wife, somebody's father. I don't know if it's his or hers. And their kid. And the the names are, the kid's name is Lumpy. <laughs> the uh, grandfather's name is Itchy. Yeah. And I don't remember, what was the, the wife's name? Chewbacca's wife's name is Mala. The only name that isn't an adjective, chewy, itchy, and lumpy over here. So um, anyway, Mala is quite the looker, let me tell you. So it starts <laughs> off with Han Solo and Chewbacca kind of like going back and forth inside the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, getting chased by Star Destroyers. It starts out strong. You're like, all right, this is okay. This is pretty good. It's like, okay, Chewie, we're going to get you back to Kashyyyk or whatever the hell you say it. Uh, so you can celebrate Life Day with your family. And then it goes to Kashyyyk. Yeah. And for the next 15 minutes, you watch a bunch of people dressed as Wookiees growl at one another. Right. In an apartment. Yes. And it's, like, unbelievably slow. Like, very, very little happens. Like, you can hear the director saying, all right, you, the little one, go bug the old one. And then... They're all just like growling at each other. They're all like Wookiee talking back and forth. <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe there could have been subtitles. 
I mean, you can kind of figure out what they're doing by context, but for the love of my sanity, maybe some subtitles would have been okay. The subtitles for me would have just said, like, turn this off. <laughs> please, please, for the love of God, stop watching this. Or <laughs> it, soon there will be an advertisement that you can see, and that'll be more interesting than this. But it goes on and on and on and yeah. on. And and I'm saying this, my hands are raised like I'm being held hostage or whatever. But as I say this, at least they stayed with that idea like all the way through 130, uh, an hour and 37 minutes. They never like broke down and were like, all right, we'll give them the ability to talk like halfway through this. Because I've seen that happen in other films. Right. In this one, it's just growling at one another. Which is incredibly irritating, but at least they stick with it. For the, they're going to irritate you all the way through. <laughs> they may as well do it for an hour and thirty-seven minutes straight. They start making some phone calls, so they call up Luke Skywalker, and yep. they're like, <laughs> and Luke Skywalker says, "What do you mean he's not there?" And I'm quite sure Mila's is like, "What the f- did I just say? He's not here. That's what I mean right. by he's not here." I'm surprised that when she was going, (laughs) what she was saying was, did you get smashed through the front of a Camaro or something? Because your face looks different. Because he was recovering from a car accident at the time that this crappy special was made. Yeah. And his hair looks very blonde. Like way blonder than Luke Skywalker. And it's it's very short. Yeah. Yeah. And And he's wearing 100 pounds of makeup. Yes. As I noticed in this particular high definition version of... The Star Wars holiday special that I sat through yesterday. And then she calls up Princess Leia. And she says, And Princess Leia says, What do you mean Chewbacca's not there? And she says, (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so, yes. However, this scene is even worse. One, because it's the the cheapest set of the entire show. It's one wall backdrop. A princess lay at a desk with an adding machine that's not plugged into anything and has no paper in it that she's madly pounding on. So I guess she's doing the rebellion's taxes. And then <laughs> when Mala starts asking questions, they all have to be relayed, translated into English by C-3PO, and then Princess Leia answers. So it takes twice as long to get the sit to have the same conversation that Mala had with Skywalker literally two minutes ago. It yep. is insufferably awful. It is very, very apparent that everything that was filmed with Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Tony Daniels, and Peter Mayhew, it's very apparent that everything that they filmed with the main characters from Star Wars was done in under an hour. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Not even filmed in one day. Filmed between, like, when Carrie Fisher was, like, super duper high on coke. Yep. To where she was kind of coming down a little bit, and then she got super duper high again, so that's like a two-hour span. That's right. where that's where this 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 special falls in. Oh, that was another thing too. Like she had her classic Princess Leia cinnamon bun, you know, side wig going on. And it was <laughs> obviously not the same one that they used in the movie, because this looks straight up fake. It looked like something you bought like at a store, like a it bad actually, store. You know what? I found myself thinking it looked like the the, the headphones that Daphne Zuniga wore that looked like that in Spaceballs. Yes. yes. She it was like, Oh, it's like the Spaceballs headset. I was looking for the strap, but I couldn't I couldn't see one over the top of <laughs> Gary Fisher's head. Now, interspersed to make to drag this thing out for an hour and 37 minutes or two hours on network television, 
they had to add in a whole bunch of filler. Uh-huh. Like, not only did they drag out the <laughs> scenes forever, but <laughs> in the storyline, the Empire is trying to track down anybody that was even remotely connected with the Death Star thing. So the right. Empire kind of, like, busts into uh, Chewbacca's house, and they're like, hey, where's this fourth person that's supposed to live here? So now, like, while they're searching the, the premises, all these other things, like, uh, start happening. There's a character played by Art Carney who's a – he's a salesman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He has, like, a junk shop. And it's, when you first meet him, the Empire is there looking around his shop for stuff, and it's, like, one he's the guy with, like, the dark helmet Death Star hat. Is like I'm on, I'm not on duty right now. So he tries to sell him like a mini fish tank and some other garbage, right? And then realizes that they're looking for people from the rebellion. So he goes to see Mala, Itchy, and Lumpy. He brings gifts for Life Day to all of them, right? So we get to spend some time before the representatives of the Empire get there, so that uh, Mala can watch Harvey Corbin try to make soup with three arms. Which is incredibly dumb. That's the stir stir whip 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 thing. Yeah. Oh my uh, god. It's like a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. She watches this like cooking show, and poor Harvey Corman is trying to make this like <laughs> impromptu <laughs> sketch that belonged on like Carol Burnett. Yeah. Like fit into the, like. Can you just imagine? Well, you can't imagine because you were being like eight years old and watching the Star Wars Holiday Special and waiting to see R2-D2 and C-3PO and Darth Vader and whatnot. And what do you see? You see like your mother's favorite comedian dressed up as a woman with six arms on a cooking uh, show. Like was, even at eight years terrible. old, I must have been like, what the fuck? And then after that, he uh, Art Carney gives Itchy a, like a special tape for his virtual chair. Yeah, and he sits VR in this porn, VR right. chair, and he watches he watches point of view VR porn of Diana Carroll hitting on him. Diana yep. Carroll was like a staple of uh, variety show TV in the 1970s, so it doesn't surprise me that she's there. She yeah. was an adult contemporary, like modern soul artist. She's very pretty. She has a beautiful voice. She hits on Itchy <laughs> virtually for like four minutes, and then she sings a song that is very not seductive but suggestive. And then they cut back, and it looks like. Itchy has thoroughly enjoyed the experience. In yeah, itchy, the middle of the living room. Yeah, Itchy needs his, a cigarette, right. Yeah, he needs he needs a cigarette and a towel to clean up. <laughs> and then he well, then he gives the little the little guy, uh, Lumpy, like a broken computer th- toy to put together that he has to watch Harvey Corman give like a four minute description of as a robot. Do you remember yep. that part? He's like the you know the the so and so mechanoid has this, and he goes like hat 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 hat. It keeps skipping as he's yep. like putting this thing together. I I was sitting there with my hands on the side of my head, thinking who who on earth <laughs> wrote this thing, and how did this end up on television? Yeah, and what are they doing for work now? Right, uh, Lumpy builds this computer thing, and. They give it to, like, one of the Empire guys to, like, hey, here, check this out. Watch this. And then it turns over to, like, a music video of, watch the inflection, Jefferson Starship? (laughs) It's kind of Jefferson Starship. I didn't recognize anybody, but I guess it was, right? 
Right. Well, that's that's after the Empire shows up, and, and they're looking at... They're supposed to be looking for anything that's related to the Rebellion, right? Yeah. So one of the things is this big... The big thing that, that Art Carney gave to Mala is on the table. And they're looking at it like, what is this thing? Is this a Rebellion thing? And he's like, no, 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 let me show you. And he opens it up, and that's where he sits down, and he watches... I don't know how long that song was, but I'm pretty sure I aged a year and a half in the time that it was on. Right. And he he watches this this terrible long-form performance by Jefferson Starship, which is badly recorded, terribly edited, horribly lit. The only person that sings live is the singer. Whoever the singer is in this one, because this is before Mickey Thomas is in the band and after Grace Flicks leaves. He's off-key, he's out of tune, and he is singing way louder than the backing music. And it is unlistenable garbage. And I remember in 1978, as a kid thinking, this is the worst music I have ever heard in my (laughs) life. And my parents make me listen to Neil Diamond records. (laughs) Now, at one point or another during the, like, right after the Jefferson Starship thing, the whole special switches over into animation. Yes. Because they had to film, you know, the part of the story takes place that they couldn't film because they only had the actors for like two hours, if that, and this would have taken too long to film. Our heroes switch over to animation, and I guess they did yes. the actual voiceovers for it, and they, they, run in, they run into the very first appearance in the Star Wars universe of Boba Fett, right. who seems a lot friendlier in this than he is later portrayed. He keeps calling them friend. Hello, friend. He has more lines in this cartoon, which is only like six minutes long, than he did in any of the films. Right. All of the films combined. Yeah, actually, if you take all of his dialogue in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, you could fit it in one tweet before they expanded the tweets <laughs> to 280 characters. Yeah. Right, right. So and, anyway. And it's, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't terrible. There's a funny thing about the cartoon, too, which, again in the realm of this special doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. So the Empire's around. There, there's two Stormtroopers and the Death Star guy, and then there's the Commander guy. These are all, like, B actors from, like, a million crappy TV shows. Lumpy is sitting there watching this video of the cartoon. So he's actually watching a cartoon of his father, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia in while he's... They're all searching for anything that has to do with the rebellion in his house. Right. Which makes no sense. No, it doesn't. But this animation is easily the best six minutes of this special. Now, before we started recording, you were saying that the cartoon sucks. And I say the cartoon, by contrast, is amazing. The cartoon, by contrast, is the best thing you've ever seen in your entire life. The cartoon is okay at best. But in contrast to the rest of this, it is the most Star Wars... It's the only Star Wars-y thing about this whole uh, Star Wars holiday special, yeah. So after the cartoon, and we, we find out that Boba Fett's actually a bounty hunter that's looking for our heroes, we cut to these other scenes where the Empire is declaring martial law. Uh, throughout the galaxy. (laughs) We cut to the very popular and always well-received Creature Cantina or the... Moss Eisley. Yeah, or the the CBS studio (laughs) backlot set that's made to look like the Creature Cantina. And your friend and mine, B. Arthur, 
is the bartender over there. And she's like, okay, guys, last call. Last call. We got to close up the place. And everybody's like saying, no, we want to stay and drink more. And she's like, no, we got to close up the place because the Empire is going to shut us down if we don't. And they're like, we don't care. We want to stay open. And she's like, fine, I'm going to sing. Which, and, well, first she's hit on a bunch of times by Harvey Corman, who pours drinks into the top of his head for literally no reason at all. Right, because he's a space alien, Jeff. That's why. <laughs> he gets drunk by pouring <laughs> drinks into the hole in his head. <sighs> uh, so, anyway, she knows how to clear out the bar. She starts singing. Mm-hmm. So, B. Arthur starts singing this song that is basically kind of like Last Call for Alcohol kind of a song. Yep. But... The underlying melody of the song is the Cantina Band song. Yeah, the do 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 because those guys know one song and that's it. Yep, and it is of the entire show, of the entire special. Yep, and I'll include the cartoon in this. It's the only part that was mildly interesting to me, and only because B. Arthur is interesting as an actress to watch. Her try desperately to bring life to this utter garbage that she has to to work with. And she manages to do it a little bit. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> no one else does. Hers is the second worst song in this, uh, yeah, in uh, this uh, yes. thing. So we go on, we go on, and then finally, finally, our heroes make it to Kashyyyk. Yes. So Han Solo and Chewbacca show up at Chewbacca's house, and they are greeted by a stormtrooper who drops his gun somehow. They like pick up the gun and you're thinking to yourself, wait, are they gonna shoot a stormtrooper? This is a little, a little <laughs> well, Merry much. Christmas, right. Yeah, Merry Christmas, <laughs> die! Whoa, whoa. So, but no, they, they push him off the railing instead. And they didn't push him, he kind of falls on his own volition. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but he falls to his death instead, maybe. Cause they go inside, they're like, hey, what happened to that stormtrooper? And they're like, Ah, he's gone. And that's how they kind of leave it. Right. So then Princess Leia and and Luke show up because why not? Uh, They show up. Yes. Yeah. And then they're going to like celebrate Life Day. And Princess Leia is so moved that she begins singing a song. Why? I don't know. Carrie Fisher sings okay. And her mom was a songbird. So why not? So Carrie Fisher starts singing this Life Day theme, which coincidentally enough, the underlying melody is John Williams' main theme from Star Wars. And it's not just like, she doesn't just break into song like in the apartment where, you know, Chewbacca and his family live. Like there's a, like a Life Day ceremony. They're all in robes. It's, right. it's on an even crappier set than the rest of the show. And, That's another and, thing too. That like that's all of the Wookies of Kashyyyk. They're all celebrating Life Day because that's like you know Wookie Christmas. They're all yeah. celebrating Life Day, and here's this broad from Alderaan that's gonna be like, "Hey, hey, who the f- are you?" That's right. not the Life Day song. The Life Day song goes like this. <laughs> it is incredibly difficult to watch and enjoy. I can't imagine, unless you're watching it with a bunch of people, or like when I was nine. Yeah. Like I was doing something else when this stupid thing was on TV. I was probably sitting in front of the TV on the floor and I had some action figures and I had a puzzle or... Right. I don't know, something to draw on and I was like, oh, this is like Diane Carroll singing some crappy song. Well, I'm going to draw pictures of Stormtroopers for ten minutes. Right, and at nine years old you don't really have a good reference for what crap is. 
Right. You don't. You don't have a good reference. And but I mean, even this was this one was this. I mean, I finished watching this one. Was like, duh, never again. <laughs> this one's on next year. I'm not watching it. You know what's funny is my birthday is in October, so I never really get to celebrate my birthday because I'm busy. So my yeah. friends took me out on November the seventeenth. Right, we went out for my birthday. Right, and I was saying, hey, November seventeenth. Isn't that Life Day? And my friend Bob was like, yes, it is. I go, we should watch the Star Wars holiday special. And he goes, you don't want any part of that, dude. And <laughs> boy, was Bob, if you're listening, boy, were you right. So, yeah, out of all the holiday specials I've ever seen, this was the most recent. Uh, this one made me long for the subtle storytelling of that the John Goodman-voiced Frosty the Snowman one with the spray that makes snow go away, which was so terrible. <laughs> I banned Christmas specials from my house for two years because of it. Yeah, it sucked. It was terrible. And I can understand why George Lucas hates it. And the one good thing that came out of this terrible special, okay, is George Lucas said, no, 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 we're never licensing anything like this again. And then there's a way to do this that doesn't suck. And they did it a few years later. The way that they do this in a way that doesn't suck Rather than telling a story where you try and put human crap into the Star Wars universe to make it relatable, yep. you take a couple of characters and you put them in something else. There's the Muppet Show episode where Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, and C-3PO show up, which is really, really watchable. And it's the same sort of variety show bullshit as this one, yep. but it's well written, it's well put together, the characters are understandable, it makes some sort of narrative sense when they show up. And Gonzo was Darth Vader, so... But it was done in a way that was not pandering and stupid the way that the holiday special was. And I've gone back and watched that one recently and been like, how good is this? Yeah. It's super duper good. All right. So, before this episode becomes as long as the holiday special, uh, let's uh, get back to our very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Oh, out of the all the numbers... Number, right? Out of yes. all the numbers in the infinite universe... There's only one, only one that the letters, and this is, I'm talking about English now, that the letters yes. are in alphabetical order. What number is in alphabetical order? Uh, eight. Nope. No, no, so no, not eight. So, no, 40 is the only number that's in alphabetical order. F-O-R-T-Y. Oh. Well, for that. Yeah. And 48 definitely is not. No. All right. No, it's so not. 40 is in alphabetical order. All the rest are not in alphabetical order. And uh, just to throw this one in as a side, the number four is the only number with the same amount of letters as it represents. Huh? Ain't that something? Uh, look at that. It's number. Number trivia. Yeah. You wasted a trivia question, Bill. Yeah. That one wasn't as good as a trivia question. That was, so a, that was a life day gift just for me. I will lumpy those two together. <laughs> All right. So that concludes this week's episode. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Life Day, one and May all. May the force be with you. Yeah. May the 40 be with you, Jeff. <laughs> and also with you. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. You can find us on messages over on Facebook or Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, when you tell your friends and get them to listen to Twibbly, it makes you popular and always well-received.